Welcome to the Arlington Street Church podcast. Boston Sanctuary since 1729, Arlington Street continues today as a gathering place for progressive people of faith in the Boston metropolitan area and beyond. Please visit ASCBoston.org for more information about this historic Unitarian Universalist congregation. We're located at the corner of Arlington and Boylston Streets in downtown Boston, Massachusetts. Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace. Just as I'm tearing across the public garden, running late to a meeting, an obviously agitated gentleman approaches me, anguish clouding his face. The squirrels, the squirrels, he says. There aren't enough acorns for the squirrels. I stop. You're worried about the squirrels, I say. He nods and begins to cry like a small child. Would you like to feed them, I ask. He stops crying. I open my briefcase. I offer him a Lara bar and an orange. Do you think they'll like these? No, no, he cries, acorns. I think. How about getting some peanuts? He brightens. Peanuts, he nods thoughtfully. I have money, he exclaims triumphant. I'm going for peanuts right now. I have to hurry. Goodbye. And he's off, trotting towards Newbury Street, where, God willing, he'll find some peanuts. This entire interaction took one minute. I was not late. And for hours, I felt happy, grateful to have been stopped in my tracks. And as we say in Buddhism, given the view by someone who, though limited in his own capacities, was busying himself caring for other human beings, other living beings, happy and grateful for the grace-filled opportunity in turn to be of some small use. I want to reflect with you this morning on the connection between happiness and gratitude, gratitude and happiness, by talking a little bit about, here's the leap, hang on, making lists. I know. Most of us make some kind of to-do lists. It turns out our working memory can retain only seven to nine things at once. So when we write something down, we remove it from the queue, making room for something else. Sometimes mine end up where they belong, and sometimes they creep onto the dreaded little pieces of paper. I am, in fact, not above making lists on paper napkins. They're all always useful when I remember to look at them. There are uncounted studies of lists and list makers, all concluding that to-do lists can help us, too, focus our energy, find more free time, exercise more often, and even feel happier overall. To-do lists can help us to set more ambitious goals and achieve our goals, and happy people, as it turns out, are those who pursue goals. 
But there's a kind of list-making that, while it may feel frivolous, is of tremendous benefit. It's not the to-do list. This is, let's reflect for just a moment on, gratitude lists. The old adage tells us to count our blessings, and it turns out it's more than a good idea for our spiritual well-being. The research on gratitude lists is at least as compelling as the to-do list studies. A lack of gratitude can lead to self-destructive behaviors such as envy, reduced motivation, lethargy, sloth, and lack of creativity. No one can really explain it, but people who keep gratitude lists exercise an average of 80 minutes more per week. Children who are taught a gratitude practice demonstrate higher levels of alertness, attentiveness, enthusiasm, determination, and energy. And at the University of Miami and Cal Davis studies concluded that these apparently magical lists can help us feel better, more optimistic about life, experience fewer symptoms of physical pain and illness, and sleep better. There's also a theory that feeling grateful makes us more receptive to receiving. Perhaps the best news of all is that the time we take to make the list itself is all that's required. Simply giving gratitude enough time out of our day to make a list, which is apparently enough time to take our brains into a positive neurochemical state, whatever that means, that list-making will enable us to enjoy all of these benefits. If you have no idea where to begin the spiritual practice of making a gratitude list, begin with Robert Frost. Here's dust of snow. The way a crow shook down on me a dust of snow from a hemlock tree has given my heart a change of mood and saved some part of a day I had rude. I love to imagine the brooding poet slouching moodily through the woods. Crow, the trickster, shakes the branch and sells a little snow down onto his head. Wake up! Come into the present! This may seem quirky, but this home hasn't been published and republished for the past 89 years for its quirkiness. Benedictine brother David Stendhal Rost writes, an interruption like this could make us angry if we insisted on staying preoccupied with our problems. But, surprise, the cold spray could make us snap out of ourselves and bingo, a saving change of mood. When the poet claims that the crow's antics saved a part of the day he had rude, he means this in the full sense of a redeeming change of heart. If this ever happened to you, the key for understanding a casual chain of great consequence is in your hands. Any change in attitude changes the way we see the world. And this, in turn, changes the way we act. 
I collect stories under the heading Surprised by Joy, Great Stuff for Gratitude Lists. Many of us here knew and loved Dan Cheever, whose memorial service last month filled this sanctuary with family and admirers on the day before what would have been his 95th birthday. His youngest daughter, my friend Holly, gave me permission to share this email with you. You'll hear her refer to her sister Olivia, as well as to a rather obscure piece of music that the peerless Molly Wood learned to play for the memorial service. And also you'll figure out in this that Holly is a vet. But that's as far as I can imagine any of us figuring out about this. So think gratitude list. Here you go, dear Kim. I have some stories to share with you from the two weeks after dad's death. First, one week to the minute after dad died, Olivia was walking near the practice rooms at Longy School of Music, and she heard a student playing Wedding Day at Trollhagen, which is never played, and which neither of us has heard since the 1950s, when dad played it for us at bedtime. Secondly, dad always used to say, dogs always did like me, as my dogs leaned against him in his chair, looking fondly at him. So two weeks after his death, my big old hound dog, Merlin, was euthanized. Since having been 100% normal that morning, normal blood work for two weeks, earlier, etc., etc., he suddenly went into shock from a ruptured, unsuspected cancer on his liver. And once I rushed him to my clinic and saw what had happened with an ultrasound, I gave him the euthanasia injection and then looked at my watch. Two weeks to the minute. I guess they felt, Dad and Merlin, that they would be ideal comrades on the next great adventure. Holly is grieving both her father and Merlin, but these out-of-the-ordinary experiences, first a sense of her father's presence, and then that he had indeed opened the door, as it were, to let out the dog, brought her both comfort and joy. When Holly's youngest daughter was admitted to medical school this week, her first thought was, wait till dad hears. And her second thought, I'm quite certain, was, Oh yes, he already knows. Put it on the gratitude list. And here's the latest addition to the file. This past week was young, only two o'clock on Monday afternoon actually, and I had already spent time with members of four different families in the congregation who are suddenly faced with the impending deaths of their parents. Hardly joyful. Dan Hardenberg was next in my schedule, and as always, my mind went to his wife, Marianne, who sustained a devastating brain injury in a fall three years ago, and to Dan's faithful attention to her at Brighton House. Dan has given me permission to tell you this. Basically, he opened with, I have something to tell you, and it's all your fault. This is hardly the vehicle one would conjure for good news, but Dan had come to surprise me with joy. You told me to get involved with people in some activity I like, he began. So, you know, I did that a while ago. I started playing bridge again. And you told me to get involved in a group for people who are dealing with some of what I've dealt with in this situation with Marianne. So I did that too, my regular weekly meeting, which is so terrific. And you told me to find a companion to love again. 
I looked at Dan, still so boyish and so optimistic, even in the full face of the past years of hell. He smiled. So I did. I met her at a dinner party on December 22nd, my Christmas angel. We've been almost inseparable this past month. I'm happy, and I'm so grateful. Would that we were all so good at doing our spiritual homework. This morning, on behalf of the congregation that cherishes Dan, I want to welcome Dan's companion, Diane O'Connell. Frankly, I am delighted to take the blame. Gratitudeless. Beloved spiritual companions, may we be stopped in our tracks and given the opportunity to be of use. May we count our blessings, giving gratitude enough time out of our day to make a list to say thank you. Thank you. May we save the day, day upon day, by choosing a redeeming change of heart. Any change can change everything. Let's listen for the music we love and open to the mysteries of death and life. May we be surprised by joy. <laughs>